Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Geekly Roundup podcast. This one is for, what is it, the 30th of August. Uh, it's Mark here again with my... You guys, are, we're becoming like the team now. We're like the go-to Geekly team. Yeah. Are we... Yeah. Can we now be considered like the news team and have our whole news team assemble type thing? We probably could. Like Ron Burgundy? Science. Yeah. L- yeah. Chief scientist, scientician reporter, Lauren. <laughs> Oh god, what does that make me? Uh, Video game. Guy who's too energetic early in the morning, reporter. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I like mornings? Yeah, I don't I don't understand what that means. Those Question words. mark with a cup no. of coffee on it? Yeah, those words. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. And I'm, I'm, what am I'm I odd. Chief. You're the boss. Showing up. Okay, I'm the boss. Yeah. Right on. You are our Ron Burgundy. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a big deal, you know. Many, Do you have many leather-bound, many leather-bound books in my library? <laughs> okay, well, let's... <laughs> now, that, now that we've made this really weird, uh, who wants to go first? I'm not going to do that thing where I just throw and make one of you do it. Even right. like Mike does? Yeah, I'm going to be nice. Well, then I'll go first. Um, so... For all of you who do not want potential spoilers about Star Wars, you might as well either mute the volume or stop listening now, because we're about to drop some science. So, well, not science, but some knowledge science. on you. <laughs> science, the science is coming exactly. in a minute. <laughs> yeah. No, um, apparently J.J. Abrams um, kind of let loose some info on Kylo Ren and his origin. And in case you've been living under a rock, Kylo Ren is the new bad guy in the new Star Wars movie that is coming out this December that I am freaking out about. The big red lightsaber with the crossbar guy. Yes. And the cool mask. It looks pretty freaking awesome. So, apparently Kylo Ren is not a Sith. He's... Something else? Yeah, he, he works under Supreme Leader Snoke. Uh, who's played by Andy Serkis, who's a powerful figure on the dark side of the Force, apparently. So he's not a Sith, and I guess depending on whether or not you are going to go by the canon definition of Sith or the well, the old canon versus new canon, whereas the old canon were old canon says the Sith were a race that then became an ideology when human dark side dark side users and and the Sith race dark side users kind of got together and had an empire for a while and they were the Sith Empire or you're just going with what Disney has classified as new canon as Sith are the classification of Dark Jedi. So, yeah. It, it all depends, but apparently Kylo Ren is not a Sith. He joined... He's apparently this guy who joined a group called the Knights of Ren and... Hence the last name, Kylo Ren. Yeah, and it's a really it's a really seeming like it's an interesting new dark side faction within the em- the new empire or the imperial remnant or the first mm-hmm. order or whatever the hell they're called and you know it, it's it seems really interesting i kind of like the idea that they're kind of branching out the definitions of sith and bad guys in the star wars universe and this could be something really cool and fleshy and you know the the idea is like well what you know the J.J. Abrams has this great quote where he's like, they all came out of this conversation about what would have happened if the Nazis all went to Argentina, but then they started working together again. You know, what could be born of that? Could the First Order exist as a group that actually admired the Empire? Could the Empire be seen as something unfulfilled? Could Vader be seen as a martyr? Um, you know, it, it's, it does bring up this whole new avenue of 
you know, Star Wars potential, which is really kind of exciting. And the flip side to it, I'm also getting excited. Like, I'm, I'm kind of getting excited despite myself, because I've been, I've been sort of off Star Wars since, like, I guess probably the prequels, which I enjoyed mostly, but afterwards I was just kind of like, eh, whatever, Star Wars. But now that this new stuff is starting up, I'm kind of getting fanboy again. But um, the interesting flip side thing, I think, is the fact that in another article, someone mentioned that... Um, so if you see the little teaser trailer that they released on Instagram that shows Kylo Ren in the uh, forest with light, lighting up his sight, lightsaber, the other side of the fight is... Um, I can't remember what his name is now. John Bagoya. John Bagoya, yeah. Lighting up his lightsaber. Um, and he's not exactly a Jedi, though. Well, he's not one yet. I guess they're yeah. kind of gray areas here where there doesn't I think have it's, to be just yeah. good or evil. I think that's probably kind of where they're going is it's, you know, the Jedi Order is a thing that happened and basically at this point it's Luke. So um, is is John Bogoya going to be a Jedi or is he going to be something else? Is he going to be, what What do they call them? Gray Jedi or Gray Force users who are kind of oh. in the middle? Mm-hmm. Grey Jedi, Grey Jedi definition is weird because there's no real definition in the new canon. Right. I mean, technically, Qui Gon Jinn was considered a Grey Jedi because he kind of went out and did his own thing. He didn't exactly listen to the Council. Um, you know, another Grey Jedi. They they did a book about this guy uh, recently. I can't remember his name. Quinlan Voss. Right. Voss could be considered a, a Grey Jedi because he's in, he's an undercover agent. You know, he actually does fall to the. If you've not read the new book, read it. It's awesome. But Spoilers. yeah, he he does have a whole thing where he does few flip flops and does all these all these odd things. But I mean, I what I understood Grey Jedi to be were generally neutral. They were not tainted by the by the dark side of the Force, but they could actually use the dark side, kind of the same way Revan figured out how to use it. You know, the idea that the Force is just energy and it's your intent behind it. Mm-hmm. And so if you need to destroy something, you can actually use destructive energy and not be detainted. I not be tainted and warped by it as long as you're using it for the right reason. It's and it's a more nuanced view of things. Yeah. It's 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 a I feel like it's almost a more educated, more intelligent version of the force. And I feel like, you know, the ideologies codified it and made it black and white to make it easier to determine who's good and who's bad. Yeah. But they really kind of pegged themselves in a corner and really limited themselves ultimately. I'm really hoping uh, that going forward this will end up with some some loosening of, you know, the whole what is a Jedi thing and just because when you when you watch the prequels, uh, the Jedi were like ostensibly the good guys, but they were also kind of insane zealots and dicks. <laughs> you know, they were they were they were kind of the good guys just because they sort of were the good guys, and you were told that. But in in the meantime, they were like, "No, everyone, shut down all your emotions. You can't have families. We're taking your kids and and drafting them into the Jedi Order because their fortunes just like dudes. Like, <laughs> slow your roll a little bit, right? Like they they were this kind of crazy monk people who just did what they wanted to because they were the Jedi, which is a little authoritarian for my liking. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you see this again in the Old Republic and uh, and uh, the Old Republic 2 where first Revan and then, you know, the the unknown, the uh, his, uh, oh, I can't remember her name. 
the main character in KOTOR 2, they have to deal with their emotions and they have to come to terms with them. Mm -hmm. And if you've read the book Revan, which was amazing, Revan is like, you know, emotions and love is cool. You know, it, it you can still be a Jedi and get married and have kids and do the whole thing. But, you know, like the Jedi, I feel like they emotionally stunted all of their trainees and all the other Jedi by kind of cutting themselves off from their emotions and not allowing themselves to feel and they made it really hard for them to identify with people in general whereas you know Revan he who had kind of gone to the was light side went to the dark came back and you know understood his emotions and could feel love and have kids and do that whole thing he had a much fuller life and I think he was a much more powerful Jedi because of it and I think you know the Jedi just kind of always kind of get that wrong and the Sith take it to the other extreme right they revel in I mean, they really revel in like the dar darker, baser natures, and how good emotions are also tied to, you know, the sometimes the negative base part of your brain, and you know they warp everything. The gray Jedi, I think, get it right. I think from a like a realistic perspective of you know being humans, um, if you if you don't ever learn how to deal with your emotions, then you never really. Once something happens where you have to deal with them, you're not equipped, and you flip the fuck out. And then I don't know, I, you end up killing like a whole bunch of, of of sand people, and then some younglings, and then oh shit, you're Darth Vader. Yeah, that that's where I was going with that. <laughs> kind of. Oh wait, meta. Hang on. Right. <laughs> but it's true, right? Like whether I, I don't, I can't really give George Lucas credit for um, necessarily that he may have planned out that whole fall thing that way. I think he did to a degree, but whatever, it was a bit clumsy. But it's true, right? If you if you if you never deal with the more powerful emotions that come up in a person's life, when they do come up, what do you do? Nothing. They run wild on you. Like Yeah, there's really not much you can do. Hmm. That went to a strange place at the end there. I ruined it. Mm. Did you? Or did I make it better? Who knows, but, you know, maybe you should take over, Mark. I, I think we've kind of talked this topic to death. Okay. Um, yeah, while we're on the topic of movies, um, I've basically... Because I'm cheating here. I have two movie topics that I wanted to treat back-to-back. -back. So one of them is the fact that they've announced a Borderlands movie at Lionsgate, which is kind of cool and interesting. And the other one is that Ridley Scott has uh, confirmed that his next movie is Prometheus 2, which I don't... Was anybody actually looking for that? Not really. No, I didn't even see Prometheus 1. So here's the thing with Prometheus 1. Um, visually, it looked kind of amazing and uh, was pretty and, and, and played with some ideas that came out of the whole Alien franchise. But as a movie, I don't... Th it made very little sense. Um, the characters despite all being scientists were basically idiots <laughs> and I, it, the movie was just a mess like I, I, I went in there and I was actually kind of like oh this should be interesting Ridley Scott makes pretty cool movies he's, he's revisiting the Alien franchise after you know so many years off of it and then I was watching it and I'm like I don't I don't know what the fuck I'm watching here and I think the moment where the movie 
basically just hurt my brain and lost me was um, so these these this ship full of scientists fly out to this alien planet and then they land and they get out oh no before they even land they're in space and uh, there is a powerful storm that's blowing up on the location where they want to land and they're like oh no there's a storm coming in we should delay and the head scientist is like no we've come too far to delay and makes them land the ship why not pick a location why not wait like whatever they they, at no point did they say like oh no this is a storm that's coming up and is going to be like 400 years long they're just sort of like there's a storm well we can't wait for that to pass and so they go and they land and of course the ship gets somewhat you know screwed up in the landing and everything and then they get off the ship and they go into these caves and they're walking around and uh, the head scientist again is like taking off my helmet because that's a great (laughs) idea like, I think someone vaguely offhand mentioned that the air was breathable, and that was good enough for him. No, like, hey, you know, is there any biological organisms in the air? Is there any kind of thing that might be a bad idea to to breathe a wholly new environment that we have never been ap- seen? And are there face huggers about to pop out of yeah, eggs? And so you know, the helmets all came me? off. And after he pulls it off, everyone else is like, "Well, I guess if he's being an idiot, and they take <laughs> off their helmets." So, yeah. The, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, honestly, I don't actually know what Prometheus Two can be, given how how Prometheus One really ended. Unless they're literally going to carry on the story of like the one person who survived and managed to get off the planet, like they did with Ripley. But if so, Jesus Christ! <laughs> didn't I mean? Didn't Michael Fassbender? Like, wasn't he the android that went insane and, like, destroyed everything? Or? Yeah, um, he was He was an android who, who basically piloted the ship when they were not around, because they were all uh, in, like, hibernation. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point went crazy and started worshipping the, uh, not the xenomorphs, but there's this weird godlike alien race that uh, they found, sort of like s- these superhuman kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this amazing scene in the movie where uh, they wait amazingly good or amazingly bad. Uh, bad, amazingly. Well, it's not really. It's not a terrible scene. It's just kind of hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. Where they finally come upon this dramatic meeting and 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 I, they unfreeze this alien that's been in stasis and the alien wakes up and the cyborg android um, Michael Fassbender is like talking to him explaining you know we come to see you and we're so excited and the alien rips him in half and beats another guy to death with him (laughs) (laughs) alright you know my dad used to threaten me with ripping my arm off and beating me with it but that's a whole new level (laughs) yeah so yeah he literally like like, he he beat him to death with half a Fassbender like (laughs) (laughs) with half of a fastbender. And you know, that kind of that happening is amazing and hilarious and yeah. uh would work in for example, Segway, the Borderlands movie <laughs> to have a, have something like that happen, but in amazing segue. In this serious Prometheus movie it just didn't work. Nope. And then yes, the other thing is Borderlands, the fact that they're doing a Borderlands movie which um I think could be really good. But it could either be really good or really awful. I feel it, like there's no it's in between. It's a fine line, right? Like, yeah. Well, how would they do the whole cell shaded environment and faces? And I don't know I, if have they to fix will. all that in post. I don't know if they're just going to make a straight up Borderlands movie. Like, I think you could just play a Borderlands movie as a live action movie, and that's it. But you have to get that weird 
Borderlands humor, right? You have to get a bunch of Australians to do it, though. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Yeah, that'll do it. So I'm, I'm, if you can't tell, I'm way more excited to find out what happens with the Borderlands movie. I just, I, I don't know if they're, they're going to be able to pull it off, though. You know, we did kind of notice just a little bit. Yeah. Nah, um, not at all. The cool thing about the Borderlands movie is that it's going to be, um, I don't know if, it, if it's being produced, I think, by uh, Avi Arad, who is, uh, you might recognize the name from the guy who started the Marvel uh, Studios mm-hmm. thing. So he and his son are working at Lionsgate now. And um, well, they were they were the people who were responsible for like Iron Man, Spider-Man, um, the original X-Men and like, OK, Ghost Rider. But that's not really a plus column. We don't it? talk about that. But yeah, so it could have been good if they had a better actor, yeah, and script, and a and better script, yeah. And why, why Nicolas Cage? Uh, why did it have to be Nicolas Cage? Why does anything have to be Nicolas everything. Cage? Honestly, I don't know. It's true. I, I, you could have put, you could have been Kevin Bacon Ghost Rider, and that would have been awesome. I actually watched the the other day. Um, I watched the National Treasure movie with Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. um, which I had never seen. I just thought, like, I'm going to watch a stupid movie, and about. Ten minutes into it, I had this flashback where I recalled the fact that Nicolas Cage won an Oscar. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> when did he win an Oscar? He won an Oscar for I think it was Leaving Las Vegas. Um, he didn't when was that? It. Uh, let's see. Yeah, nineteen ninety-five. He, he won, won an Will Oscar. Will Smith, for God's sake. Will What's Smith the- doesn't have one yet. It's true. Has Will Smith done anything to earn an Oscar? Oh, yeah. He's done some things, yeah. Some of his more serious movies. He could have gotten an Oscar for... What was that first movie he did? Um, Shit, I can't remember what it's called. It was a long time ago. It was in the 90s when he was was a kid. Anyone? Six Degrees of Separation, I think. He definitely was... He did definitely. That is true. I don't think he should get an Oscar for that. But no, but Boys in the Hood. Uh, I, I don't know. No, no. He did a. It's called Six Degrees of Separation. It was one of his first movies. Oh. Very. Uh, like it was a comedy drama. Very dramatic with um, Stalker Channing, who I think actually got a nomination for that movie, and Donald Sutherland, and Ian McKellen. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a hell of a cast. Yeah. He- should have gotten something for for five pounds. I think that's what it was called. Which was a very dramatic movie, very like feelsy. Like, don't go watch it expecting it to be something super happy and lighthearted. Oh, seven pounds. Seven pounds. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, that was a that was, I never saw it, but I heard that was a uh, that was like a three tissue box movie. Yes, yes, it was. He got nothing for it. Yeah, and that was actually it was really well reviewed and really well received. Yeah, and apparently it How made did he get money nothing for that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the injustice. The this world where Nicolas Cage gets an Oscar and he doesn't. Not only that, but Nicolas Cage got got nominated for another Oscar. <sighs> he got. I mean, honestly, yeah. is it? Can we just point out and say that the Academy is semi? And I just like to point out that I feel like the Academy is insane. You know, yeah, insane, racist, or if not biased, and going, have yeah. Oh, yeah. no real concept of movies. Yeah, racist, sexist, all... The, the, the problem with the Academy... Traditionalists. Yeah, traditionalists is the kind way of putting it. I think the problem with the Academy is, you know, when they, they did the... Um, 
they did the statistical breakdown of it, and it's like 92% white guys over the age of 60, or something like that. <sighs> Which, it's not like Hollywood itself is super diverse and super um, progressive in terms of, you know, who's starring in movies and stuff, but like 92%, like 60-plus-year-old white guys. Holy crap. Shake things up a little, guys. Literally, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, uh, just it makes no sense. Yeah, Nick Cage. How about things that yeah. do make sense? Yes, like science. science. Like science. Oh. This, is, this is okay. Um so there's two things. One, um we have NASA did an experiment that launched a few days ago um where the they're astro- they set up a team of like six astronauts uh to, to Hawaii to live in a dome for 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 a year, for twelve months, and the um they're living in a, in a dome on like the side of a volcano that's inactive inactive or something um where the where the land's pretty barren, and um, they're trying to prepare in in this way for how it's going to be like to live on Mars, and they'll they'll have uh they they have food rations they have limited access to Wi-Fi. Um, which would which would mimic in in its way um, how it would be like to live on Mars. They've did they've done a six month one before before this and it went pretty well. Um, and pretty much all that can be said after that was uh, one of the one of the pe- people who's more vo- one of the astronauts who's more vocal about it uh, said that she actually really enjoyed her time there. She. Be- she sort of made fam made a family of the people who who were there with her, but her favorite things when she returned were uh, champagne and ice cream, <laughs> Aww, luxury stuff. That's nice. So these people are all preparing for for the uh, the one way trip that that we keep hearing about that's going to happen for Mars. But but in uh, in in separate but connected news, Buzz Aldrin doesn't believe that it has to be a one-way trip. Buzz Aldrin believes that it could be a round trip, that where we make a pit stop on one of the moons of Mars, and then go to Mars, and um, maybe just like have a, a halfway station on one of the moons. Wouldn't actually be halfway per se, but it would be still like a pit stop. You mean like a staging point for return launches? Yes. So that would involve building a base, manning it, and actually having small return rockets that could shoot people back, and somehow taking those and sending them back to mar- back to the moon base to get them, you know, refueled, turned around, and ready to go for the next crew who wants to go back. Yeah. It's, yeah, I'm reading the one it's about a- him here. Buzz Aldrin doesn't believe it has to be one way, even though people keep talking about it like it's a one-way mission. It shouldn't have to be a one-way mission. It really shouldn't. I mean, if if you do the logistical work and you really kind of think ahead, which you know some people are just not really famous for, um, you you could make it a, a round trip. I mean, it would just require you to put off the actual Mars mission and put a bunch of infrastructure into uh, a base. An actual, you know, permanent base. It's interesting, though. He's so he's the interesting thing about that is that he's working on it privately with a uh, Flor- with the Florida Institute of Technology and hoping to build a plan that he can convince NASA to do. 
so he's he's trying to push this with NASA. He's like, guys, come on, I've been to space. I know how space works. Yeah. He he does have he he, he does have so a it's point. Not like, it's not like yeah. he's just some schmuck. He's a doctorate. He, he has his doctorate, and he um, undoes. He was an Navy pilot. Yeah, he was yeah. an astronaut, and astronauts are well trained and educated. Like yep. they're not dummies. Yep. And he was an ace Navy pilot, and he was a test pilot. I mean, the guy yeah. is pretty fucking smart. He's accomplished. So, Very. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. I think I think the the people who are mostly talking about the one way trip are those um, what are they called the uh, private ones? Yeah, the private one. But there's there's one Isn't of them. Isn't that Dutch company that's doing that? Yeah, the uh, what are they called? Mars One. Yeah, yeah, Mars One. Who I I feel like have been outed somewhat as being kind of sketchy and insane already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've always wanted that one evil organization that turns out to be real. It's Only for true. some superhero to find some come and find out that it exposed them for being evil and whatnot. Perhaps. I thought that was Fox News. Oh. Yeah, people are still in denial I'm... about that, so that's harder to count. But aren't most people in denial about the evil corporation that runs everything and tells you all the lies? It is and tells true. You what you're most people, to think yeah. most up people until ignore Lex exposes them. Yeah. I, and though Lex Luthor does have his redeeming qualities, and he does actually do a few good things for the planet. He, do, mean, he does now, especially in modern comics. He's, yeah. he's less of a one-sided nut job. But still, when he was you know evil mega corporation, he was he, when he was super evil. He got elected president. So you know. Oh yeah. Donald Trump, um, <laughs> or Hitler. I mean Hitler. I mean look at Hitler. People that, love that Hitler. is that is true. People did love Hitler. Well, some people. Some well, before people. they knew he was insane. But was anyway, um, back to Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> yes, <laughs> people who, people who I, we actually Hitler. should talk about probably. Back to the um, yes, from Hitler and back to science. <laughs> and and never actually never mind that. But so the, in the original story that you were talking about, the uh, one year yeah. um, thing on Hawaii, the thing that freaks me out the most about that is that there's going to be was it six people, seven people? I it's think something like six people. Um, living in a dome that's like 11 meters by 6 meters, which is in feet, uh, 20 feet tall by, I don't know, hold on, 11 by, so 36 feet tall. It says 20 feet tall. 36 feet by 20 feet tall, which is not big for seven (laughs) people. So that, as as a non-astronaut person... That was. I think that's the part that There's I have the most people, trouble with. There's six people: a French astrobiologist, a German physicist, and four Americans. The pilot, Americans including an a pilot, an architect, a journal slash a doctor slash journalist, and a soil scientist. Yeah. Mm. So six but people. The German and the French together. Okay. That that that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a horrible person. No. <laughs> no. <I'm> not. <laughs> History points out that the Germans and the French have constantly been fighting with each other if it wasn't the English and the, and the French fighting each other. Yeah. I mean, pre-World War One, Germany, uh, the Prussians actually made it all the way to Paris. It is true. One hopes, though, however, that a, French, a single French astrobiologist and a German physicist can coexist without the Germans trying to annex the, uh, the German trying to annex <laughs> the French astrobiologist's bathroom or something or the french just pointing out that the germans are yelling at each other and have no sense of culture but who knows no i personally think german culture oh my god 
I appreciate the German <laughs> culture is amazing. I love the beer. I love the people. They're awesome. Oh, no. oh my god! Where did this conversation go? What's I wrong with you? Know. Stop talking. I'm just shaking my head over here. <laughs> we're gonna. The, we're, you're gonna make Germans angry, and you're gonna have a bunch of angry Germans coming after you. And you know what? I'm gonna let them have you. But I'm part German. <laughs> well, then you're dumb. Then you, you know which ones are coming that for you. Make it's it your family. Better. I was just saying what the French would say about the Germans. I think the Germans are awesome. Oh. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> Gran Turismo, anyone? <laughs> sure. Let's use, let's do that. Okay, so, yes, uh, the Mary Sue, um, not my favorite place for finding geek news, but um, they actually had a pretty funny article about how uh, Nissan is, you know, going around finding race car drivers using Gran Turismo, and they made, you know, the last Starfighter reference, which was, you know, funny and fun. Um, for any of you who don't know, The Last Starfighter was probably one of the great, was a great, you know, science fiction movie about a kid who masters a video game and is brought up into space to go fight some evil empire. It had some really awesome early 3D render, um, 3D renderings of graphics, which are really, really cool. Crazy computer graphics. Yeah, I, they had to like build the computer, I watched the special features for the film and they had to build the computers to actually design that stuff. So it was really ahead of its time, really super cool graphics. So, but they're talking about um, the, I think it's like what the 18th GT Academy, um, where um, Sony and Nissan go out and monitor uh, players' scores in Gran Turismo, and then they invite something like eight or nine top players to come to the GT Academy, and they're put through an actual race race car driving course, an intensive course, and apparently all the people who have graduated and have won the GT Academy. It's 16 races, and like, let's see, it's been going on since 2008, and all 16 GT Academy racers are still racing today, apparently. Wow. So apparently it works. It's kind of amazing when you think about it, because, you know, most people are playing with their little PlayStation controller, and being in a real car is, you would think, vastly different, but apparently there's, a, there's enough overlap simulation-wise that your brain wires in, and you get that, like, that, I don't know what you call it, like, basically well, muscle memory, but not... You know, if you're wired to start thinking right. about this. Exactly, yeah. Like it's realistic enough that you can take what they've learned, teach them how to drive a car, and they do well. Yeah, Which, it's because, I mean, it, with Gran Turismo, the physics are supposed to... I think that has probably one of the best physics for any racing game there is. Yeah. I mean, it's, maybe it's maybe very, if it goes up against Forza, I mean, between Forza and Jeet and Gran Turismo, that, you know, they're, they're always pushing the bounds for physics as far as racing goes. Yeah, they're very high on the list of, of um, amazing physics. The only thing I think that Gran Turismo suffers through is that uh, I think they uh, do they still not let your cars take any damage. I don't know. I'm not a PlayStation. I, I don't have it on. I don't have a PlayStation. I have an Xbox, which okay. is cooler. But <laughs> yeah, I last time I played a, a Gran Turismo, they uh, because the they get the rights from the actual car makers to include the cars. For whatever reason, um, a lot of those supercars, uh, the companies are like, we don't want them to be smashed up on in your game, and so uh, you don't quite get that. But I suppose. So it's I mean, I could drive a Bugatti Veyron into the wall over and over and over again; it wouldn't get damaged. Uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. When I when I played, because um, I'm terrible at driving games, uh, one of my main strategies was just just to go really fast and use the guardrail as a uh, steering mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a lot like me. I um, they're not coming to get me for the uh, GT no. Academy. No, <laughs> no, not me neither. They're really, really, really not. 
No. Awkward silence. Yeah. Who's, who's got another topic? All right, I got one. Um, I think this is our last topic. We like blowing through these things like cray cray. Yep. Uh, so mine is really just a nostalgia thing. The uh, the entire 1982 DC Comics style guide is online, and you can go and look at it. And um, so it's... I don't know if you both were even born in 1982, nope. but... Nope. Okay. You're old. I am old. I was five, though, so it's not like I'm super old. But no. uh, So, like, the classic what people think comic book characters look like era of, of characters. They have an entire style guide you can look at online with like the color guide, how to draw the costumes, um, heights, poses, all that kind of thing. And you is online and you can browse through it. And just from a completely nostalgic, you know, classic comic book art standpoint, it's fun to look at to see like it's got the um the really old-fashioned uh, Lex Luthor suit with the weird riveted metal arms and like that huge shoulder pad and neck thing that he wears, but for some reason his face is exposed and has no helmet over it. He's got that costume, and so it's just fun to go and look at. Um, and then Are rather we talking, like everything up to 1982 or 1982. No, so basically the style guide is in 1982 DC Comics if you came to work for them, gave you this style guide to say, okay, you're an artist for DC Comics, this is how you draw these guys. Oh! Because they had house styles back then where everything was supposed to look kind of alike, and you know, nowadays, whatever the artist's personal style looks like, they tend to let you get away with more of, so you end up with what I would call vast um, gulfs of, of different... Uh, styles and quality. Yeah, because um, I was going to say, the Mark Miller doesn't look... Mark Miller's... Uh, not not Mark Miller. Who, who's the guy that did Batman Year One? Uh, not sure. Frank Miller. Frank Miller? Frank Miller. Frank yeah. Miller's Batman looks nothing like that. Yeah, exactly. It's way so, grittier. So, these are the classic, like, Silver Age... Yeah, 1982... You know, this is what everybody's Batman should look like. This is what everybody's Joker should look like. Whereas now, you know, if you come onto the book, you you get like the costume design, but they're they're much less strict about proportion and style and all that. So, which is kind of a mixed bag in terms of of good and bad. Uh, on the plus side, when somebody's a really good artist, you know, you get some really great looking stuff. You'll have a comic where. Uh, if it's a more gritty story, it may look more realistic and down to earth and not so uh, for color and bright. And then a story that's, you know, more comedic, you can go closer to that comic book style. But then on the downside, if you get somebody who's terrible at drawing, who somehow has managed to work their way up to uh, this level, then that's kind of it. They draw what they draw like, and you're stuck with it. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty do cool it. though that they're doing that. They're releasing this. Yeah, and it's just on their Facebook. They just like, here, come look at our look at our style guide. I don't know where. Oh, I see. It's it's not from DC. It's from um, Jean Louis Garcia Lopez, who uh, he is. What was he? He was. An, I think he was a penciler back at that time. So. I think he probably drew he drew the style guide and he's released it as an example of, you know, what 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 they used to do back then. 
So did can we assume Marvel had a similar thing that they had a house style that everything had to look like and yep. you know So that it, was that was just the tradition within comics that It's just the know, way it was, yeah. This is how DC would look and this is how Marvel would look and okay. And they were very much based on like that classic um Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko sort of era of comics yeah. if people are, you know, up on who they those still, people are. They still definitely have that look of the 60s. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, because, you know, it was like, okay, this is how you draw these. Whereas now, it's not... Now it's like, okay, that's what the costume looks like. Go wild. And I think it's probably actually... What we have now is, in a lot of ways, better, because the comics are a art form, and you being tied to a house style is probably not the best thing in terms of creativity and mood. And It's like saying that, you know, every movie has to be in Technicolor and be brightly lit. You know? Yeah. And honestly, I feel like... I remember... God, I can't remember when I was watching this, but I saw this thing about, like, the history of comic books and when comics... You know, comics kind of went through this renaissance in the 80s where it got really, really dark. And yeah. there was a lot of rebellion against, you know, the traditional way of doing things. And you had you had heroes like, you know, the Punisher become yep. very, very popular. And the anti-hero really just kind of come about and Batman got darker and grittier and Superman became less popular. And I think yeah. that that revolution in comics really just kind of made things better. But I mean, still, I mean, you, if you look at, you know, DC Vertigo and you have and you look at the old if, not even old, but like the classic um, you know, Watchmen or V for Vendetta, the the early DC v, the the first DC Vertigo stuff, the the Alan Moore stuff. I mean, that still had a lot of like the kind of like 1960s drawing and inking style with a little bit of Warhol tossed in, like just the mm-hmm. way they kind of, kind of like ink things, but the story content was just so much grittier. Yeah. And I think is is awesome to see. I think now we see, you know, the art catching up with the story and in, you know, the mid-80s and I think that's that really made comics a lot better. Yeah, essentially the like the whole 80s thing shook, shook everything up and then you had the 90s was almost too much about art and that was when you know image started up and comics kind of had this big boom and then bust because everything was just about oh these guys draw really well and very often you had artists who weren't particularly good uh, writers also writing their books and it swung you could say the pendulum swung too far and so now it's come back and I think where we are now is a better place in a lot of ways that um, you know you pair artists and writers together based on what the content is and it's not just um, either it's, it's not so much about one or the other although I think uh, a lot of comic book artists would argue that they don't get enough credit for their contributions even though it is you know visually most of what you see there's still a lot of like people buy because of who the writer is on a comic so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount that because I think that's probably quite true but I think where we are right now is a lot better than where things used to be where it was just like you know Hey, artist, do your monkey work and draw in the house style. <laughs> dance, monkey, dance. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. It's cool I'm, to look at. I'm inclined to agree. Rather and predictably, though, unfortunately, a lot of the comments are all like, um, oh, you know, how, how this is how comics should look, because uh, this is so classic. Everything else new looks like crap now. I mean, the old fanboys grumping and harumphing and yeah, being those... morons. Yeah, those those 
Change is scary, guys. Come on. Especially change that's 30 years old at this point. Okay, wait, hang on. Now, I, <laughs> I mean, looking at Suicide Squad, sure, I could say change is scary. I mean, I the movie's not even out. I don't like what they've done to Jared Leto's Joker. I don't agree with it at all. But I'm going to wait until I see the movie and make my and make my judgment then. But, you know, I think, you know, fanboys have got to let it go. And, you know, they've got to yeah. look at what, how the art and how the industry has evolved and how now there's much more expression. There's, because I mean, half the stuff that has happened recently, I mean, even the somewhat reprehensible stuff, like Iceman being outed mm-hmm. um, by, was it Gene Gray? Gene. Yeah. yeah, Gene outing Iceman. That never would have happened in like a nineteen if they if they were still doing style guides in nineteen the the same way, and they were kind of like and and they were controlling a lot of what was going on. Half the stories that are written now wouldn't have gotten approved, like oh, Kamala Khan sure. being Miss Marvel. And, for sure. And I mean, comics have have evolved to be something so much better, more inclusive, and just a better representation of humanity. And I feel like. This is the Marvel. This is I. I don't read a lot of comics. I'll admit it. I don't. But you know, when I do pick one up and I look through them, or you know, I listen to you and Mike, and whoever else rapture about you know, comic stuff. I feel like the world. You know, the comic world is much better because of the evolution and the change and everything it's gone through. I think you know, if you were to go back, people would be like, "Well, this kind of sucks." You know, nostalgia is great in your head, but up until you actually experience it. You know, you may realize you liked what you had. Well, you liked where you were better than going back to the past. Yeah, I think, I think it's just it's not it's not just a geek thing, but I think it's particularly extra a geek thing that they or we like things to be the way we like them, and if and we may not be all the time the most um, what's the word I'm looking for here Excellent. realistic realistic about the reality of how things were in the past. You know, nostalgia has that, that rose-colored glasses thing. Yeah. So you're saying that we're like the, uh, we're like the GOP, the grand, the grand old party? Perhaps, yes. In some ways, there is a... I think that's actually, um, just in general, people, there is a conservative element to pe- how people are that, you know, if things are a way that you're comfortable with, change and something new is scary because... Oh, there's a change. There's a chance that it could be worse later on, or there could be a chance that it's going to be better for other people and not necessarily that much better for you, which is also scary sometimes. So, I I get to, I get psychologically why um, people and geeks get up in arms about things changing and the discomfort that comes with the idea that oh no, you know Ms. Marvel is now a um, Muslim girl who you know stretches and not a blonde lady who flies around in a uh, bikini leotard. I can get why people feel oh damn that's different and I'm not sure that I like it. But ultimately uh, comics aren't just for me. You know? Mm. Yeah. Not just comics. Everything is not for me. Sadly, unfortunately, things are not just (laughs) for me. I don't rule the world. But I rule this podcast with an iron fist. (laughs) <laughs> and I say it's over. We're done talking right now. No. Are we? I don't know. I challenge you to a death match for the championship belt. Oh god. Uh, okay. That's going to happen Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> 
I don't know what to do right now. I, well, no. uh, do we have any other topics we'd like to discuss? I'm going to continue shaking my head in the corner. Be afraid. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm just, you know, I, I just, I think we found my role. I'm that guy who brings up awkward things and just, you know, <laughs> says shit that's going to get us in trouble. <laughs> that works. You're why we have lawyers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you'll oh be God. yeah. You'll just you're the tank. You you take, <laughs> you'll attract all the attention and hate. All the aggro. Yeah. I can't wait. F- oh God, Mike's gonna hear this and he's gonna get. He's gonna give me such an angry look in the office. He's gonna go <laughs> full J Jonah Jameson and throw me out because I didn't get pictures of Spider Man. <laughs> oh, see. <laughs> crap. Make a uh, crap. Oh God. Oh well. We don't even have an office. <laughs> Shh. Oh man. Everyone who's still paying attention at this point to the podcast, ignore that. There's totally an office. And we totally go there. <laughs> and we have an awesome goal, office golem named Schmucky. This podcast is over. You can follow us on the Ace of Geeks podcast on Facebook, at Ace of Geeks at Twitter, Instagram, aceofgeeks.tumblr.com, uh, on the internets, that's a thing you may have heard of, aceofgeeks.net, and on Google Plus at the Ace of Geeks. I am Mark. Thank you for coming. Would, uh, would you two like to say goodbye? I'll feed us in. Bye, everybody. See you next week, maybe. maybe. Possibly, if we're not all dead. <laughs> oh, God. The apocalypse is coming. It is. And we're out.